Well, it's good to be in church on Sunday morning. And it'll be good to be in church on Sunday night. Oh, that was good. I thought I'd trap some of you there and catch you when you weren't watching. You come back tonight. We'll have a wonderful time together. Open your Bible, if you would, to the book of Philippians, chapter number 3. Philippians, chapter number 3. When you find that, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? Philippians, chapter number 3. In Sunday school, we left off there in verse number 7. So we'll start reading with verse 7 and read a few of these verses this morning. It says this, But what things were gained to me... Those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can trust it, we can believe it. We can stand on it and stake our very eternity on it. God, thank you that we could be here this morning and we can sing and rejoice together and fellowship together. Lord, as we look into your word, I pray that again, you'd use it in our hearts. And if there would be one here lost today without Christ, Lord, I pray they wouldn't leave that way, but that today would be the day of salvation. We ask that you work in each and every heart and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me just give you my little commercial while I'm thinking about it. There is stuff out there, and you're welcome to buy it. Um, it's out there, and, and there are prayer cards out there. Make sure you get one of those. You will notice we have two two different racks. We have the big rack with our new stuff on it and, and all that, and that's the regular prices. And then we have a little rack. The little rack is stuff I'm clearing out of the barn. And so everything on the little rack is $5. All the CDs on the little rack are $5 each, and Christmas is coming, so you can stock up and help me clear out the barn. Amen? And so if you're interested, you can get all that. But please, get one of the prayer cards, if you would, and take it home and pray for us from time to time. We would greatly appreciate that. Here in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is the human author, as we said in Sunday school, And really what he's revealing in these verses that we just read is the governing philosophy of his entire life. It's the thing that drives him and it's the thing that causes him to take the direction that he takes and it guides his behavior and it guides his decisions. And the truth is you have a governing philosophy in your life as well. 
You do. Everybody does. It's just that most people don't sit down and write it out. They don't say, this is the thing that's most important to me. This is the thing that I'm aimed toward. This is my governing philosophy of life. And yet we all have one to some degree. The problem is most of them are bad. They are. You look at what governs the lives of most people in the world, the underlying philosophy is a bad philosophy. There are those who are governed by their emotions. And whatever they feel like at the moment, that's what chooses their direction and their course in life. When I was just a kid, people said dumb things when I was a kid. That's been a long time ago. You know, people are a lot smarter now. They don't say dumb things anymore. But there used to be a, a bumper sticker and people would have it on their cars, you know. And, and I know if you're old like me, you've seen it. If it feels good, do it. Remember that one? Most of those people not still alive. But they had that bumper sticker on their car and on the window and it was their governing philosophy. Well, whatever makes me feel good. The problem is, you know as well as I do, that will destroy you in short order. Whatever makes me feel good. That, that might sound good, but that's a dangerous way to live. Others are simply governed by tradition. Well, that's how my grandparents did it, and that's how my parents did it, and that's how I'm going to do it, and that's how we always do it. And, you know, I, I'm, I, do, I belong to this church because that's what my grandpa uh, belonged to, and I do this because that's what my grandma did. And, well, that's fine if they were right. But if they were wrong, that's going to lead you into some terrible trouble. Really is. There are a lot of folks who do stuff just because that's what their family have always done. And they're doing the wrong thing and they're ruining their lives. Don't, don't let that be your, your guiding philosophy. Uh, others, it's self-interest. <coughs> I'm just going to do what I want at any cost. Whatever it takes to get what I want, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to accomplish it. I'm going to step on this person and climb over that person. Well, that, that'll work for a while. But you're going to be very lonely one day. Because that won't work out in the long run. And then there are those who are just governed by the opinions of others. Well, if that's what everybody's doing, I guess that's what we'll do now. If you had good parents, I had good parents. Your, your good parents probably told you the same thing my good parents told me. If everybody else is doing it, you probably shouldn't do it. They ever tell you stuff like that? <laughs> You'd say, well, mom, dad, everybody else is doing it. And they'd come back with some bit of eternal wisdom, like if everybody else jumped off a bridge, would you? Your parents said that too? Everybody's have at some point. Everybody's parents have said that. What they were saying is just because everybody else is doing it certainly doesn't make it right. Listen, and, and that's never been more true than it is in the world we live in today. Just because everybody else is saying it's okay doesn't mean it's okay. You have to go back to what the Word of God has to say. All of those philosophies will end up in self-destruction. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 2 says, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But here in this passage we just read, there's a philosophy that will give you not only a good life now, but it'll set you up for all eternity and give you a wonderful eternity. And it's spelled out in depth right here in the passage we just read. Look again, if you would, at verse number 7. 
But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. I want you to see, first of all, what is abandoned. And what is abandoned here, according to verse number 8 and verse number 7, it's all things. Now, in the context, what are the all things he's talking about? He says, now I've counted all things but loss, and all things I've... I've turned my back on. They are no longer a prophet to me. Well, it's the things we looked at in Sunday school in verses 4 and 5 and 6. Look, if you would, at verse 5. Here are the things that are being abandoned. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day. Now, when the Apostle Paul wrote down and said, I was circumcised the eighth day, what he was saying was, we were observant religious Jewish people. We followed the law, and not only did I follow the law, but my family was following the law before I ever got here. So that when I showed up, I was born into this observant Jewish family, and they followed the law right down to the letter. But we were doing it before I got here, and we're still doing it. That's a pretty good start. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, we weren't just Jewish people. We knew our history. We knew what tribe we came from. We knew where our family got started, and we knew where it all came from, and we followed it. So far, so good. And Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Now, we kind of, we're hard on the Pharisees. We're hard on the Pharisees for good reason. Because Jesus was hard on the Pharisees. But do you know why Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees? Because... If anybody should have recognized him as Messiah when he showed up on the scene, it should have been the Pharisees. They were the one, they didn't just know the law. They memorized the law. They knew it all. They knew the prophets. They memorized it all. They knew all the prophecies. They knew everything. And when they saw Jesus come on the scene, having fulfilled all of the prophecies and all of the requirements, they should have immediately have said, that is the Messiah. And instead, they said, we're not interested in him. We're looking for political gain. And they ignored him completely. And so he was hard on them. Listen, he... He spoke much more kindly to a woman taken in adultery than he did to Pharisees who came to hear him preach. When Pharisees came to hear him preach, he just, I mean, he just read their mail and he laid it down and he told everybody how rotten and worthless they were and it was because they should have known and many did know and rejected him anyway. You see, when the Apostle Paul said, I was a Pharisee, we think of that in a negative context because of our understanding of the gospel. But the people in Israel didn't think of that as a negative thing. They thought of that as a a positive thing. Here's a Pharisee. They're the most religious among us. They know the law. They keep the law. They follow the law. These are honorable people and good people and, and loyal people. And he said, that's what I was. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 6. Concerning zeal persecuting the church. He said, I wasn't just a Pharisee said, the things that I believed as a Pharisee, I I not only said them and believed them, I put them into action. 
Along came these people preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and saying he was, he was God and he was the Messiah and he was the Savior. And he said, I went out and I hunted those people down and I persecuted them. Listen, he was standing there when Stephen was stoned to death. He was out there putting feet to what he believed. He wasn't just a Pharisee. He was one who did what everybody else talked about. And he went out and he did it and he was sincere. And then look at what it says next. Touching the righteousness which is in the law. Look at that next word. Blameless. Now, remember, this is not just the Apostle Paul talking. This is not just him trying to make himself sound good. This is God talking. And he states that according to the righteousness which is of the law, he was blameless. That's a lot to say. And you don't say God, you don't see God putting in another little, uh, uh, another little parentheses and saying, but he was wrong. No. As concerning the righteousness which is of the law, he was blameless. What was he saying? You could go through the law and all the rules and all the things we were supposed to follow, and I did them all. That is a lot to say. Here I was from a religious home, from a good Jewish home. We knew our background. Uh, We were faithful. Hebrews of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. Uh, I went out and persecuted those who stood against Judaism. And I I was sincere and I was honest. And I was blameless as far as the law was concerned. That is what he abandoned. In verses 7 and 8. Look at verse 7 again. But what things were gained to me? What are those things? All that list of stuff. What things were gained to me? Those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He abandoned all things. And then if you look at the end of verse number 8, he says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. He said, there's something more important than all that I've been and all that I've done and all that I've accomplished and all the religious accolades. I count that all as dung because I want to know Christ. Now, that's strong language. We don't say that about everything. We, we when, when he said that's dung... Listen, that's that's the lowest form of filth you can possibly imagine. That's not that's not just well I don't care for it or I don't prefer it. That puts it at the very bottom of the of the list of awful, disgusting, filthy things. He said all of that is dung. Now he didn't say I was a drunkard and I was a womanizer and I was a thief and I was a liar and I count all that as dung. That's the kind of testimony we're used to hearing, right? I did all this stuff and and all that was no good and it was awful and I found Christ and everything's changed. That's not Paul's testimony. Paul's testimony is I never did any of that. I did everything right. I was good. I was the one everybody looked up to and said, that's what I want to be. And that is all dung. It's not just that it wasn't good enough. It was dung. Listen, uh, there there are things we don't prefer. You know, there's there's squash. Well, I don't prefer squash. I'll eat it if I'm hungry. 
I'll eat okra if it's fried. Yeah. Other than that, I'm not sure why anybody would eat this stuff. It's got to be fried. It's not the first thing I grab off the off the plate, but I'll eat it. I I I I don't dislike it. But then you bring me a sweet potato. It's not that I don't prefer sweet potatoes. They're dung. That's an inedible object right there. I don't know who made the first one. They must have been starving to death. And they probably tasted it and then died anyway. That's what they did because they weren't going to eat the rest. I reserve that for basically one thing. Sweet potatoes. Amen? Nothing else. Now, I know you probably love sweet potatoes, and you're probably thinking right now, if he just tasted my sweet potatoes, please don't bring them. No, no. (laughs) Keep them to yourself. I don't want them. They're nasty. You see, the problem is they make my automatic gag reflex kick in. And you probably have something that does that to you. It's, I'm not sure why. I don't think I was beaten with one as a child or anything like that. I don't recall that. But I was evidently traumatized. And, and when I smell them, it's like a, something happens in, in my heart. And, and I just can't go beyond that point. Amen? So I, I, I relegate it to that place. And that's as low as you can get. I don't put other stuff in that place. No. Listen. He's using strong, strong language about something that most people would not even say was bad. They would say it was okay. As a matter of fact, most people would pat him on the back and say, Paul, you're all right. You're going to get to heaven one day. Look at what you've done. You've followed the law. You've done it all. You were a a, a Pharisee and you were blameless as far as the righteousness which is of the law. And he said, I have abandoned all of that. Galatians chapter 2 verse 21, he said, if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Dead in vain. He said, all of that that I did, I realized what I wanted was Christ and to know him. And so I have abandoned all. All of that. But look at what is acquired in verse number 9 and verse number 10. He says, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. Notice in verse number 6, he said, I already had that kind of righteousness. And then in verse 9, he said, I don't want that righteousness anymore because that is dung. It's of no use. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. What did he abandon? All of his religion and all of his goodness and all of his works and all the things that he was lauded for all of his life. And what did he acquire? The Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a good trade right there. That is a good trade. Notice he says there in verse number 9, I don't want my own righteousness, but the righteousness which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. If you stand before God holding your own righteousness in your hands, all the good things I've done, all the religious things, all the rituals I've done, all the things I've learned, and if you stand before God holding that, you know what he'll say to you? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Because God says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's garbage. It's garbage. 
He said, I had my own righteousness, and I realized it was dung. I want the righteousness which is of God by faith. How do you get real righteousness? By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You abandon all of that, and you hang on to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says a wonderful thing happens. His righteousness is imputed to you. Isn't that wonderful? All of a sudden, when God looks at you then, he doesn't see this wicked, vile sinner who's bound for hell. Now what he sees is the righteousness of his son all over you. You look in the mirror and you just see, well, the same guy you saw yesterday. But God looks at you and he sees righteousness. And the only way to get that is through faith in Christ. Because your own righteousness won't do that for you. You stand before God with your own righteousness, and you know what he sees? A wicked, vile sinner deserving of hell. But you stand before him with the righteousness which is of God by faith, and you know what he sees? He sees the righteousness of his Son, which is pure and holy. And it's free for the asking. Amen? Why in the world would you hang on to all that other stuff when you could have real righteousness through the Lord Jesus Christ? Verse 10, here's the philosophy that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He has acquired the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you look at all that he had and all that he was, The world would say, that's worthwhile, you ought to have that. But he said, that's nothing at all, because now I have something else. I found the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to know him. And you may say, well, isn't isn't he saved yet? Yes, he's already saved. That happened that wonderful day when he abandoned all that and put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he says, here's what guides the rest of my life. I want to know him. Well, if he's saved, he already knows him. No. He knows him as Savior. But there's so much more to know. There's an awful lot more to know. How many of you have been married for 20 years or longer? Okay. Has your spouse ever, after all these decades, surprised you? by something they thought or something they did or something they liked or didn't like that you just didn't know about? I mean, after decades of living together, sometimes they just do weird stuff. Don't look at anybody. Don't poke anybody. And you think, where did this come from? I had no idea. My my parents were married for 50 years. My father passed away uh, just a few months after their anniversary, actually just a few weeks after their 50th anniversary. And, you know, there were five of us kids, and and 50 years is a long time. After they'd been married about probably, I'd say it was after 46, 47 years, right in that range, one day it was just mom and dad, you know, they were home alone, all of us are gone, scattered different directions. And my mother called me one day, and she said, You will never believe what your father did. Now, you'd have to know my father. He was the most moral, upstanding, honest man that I've ever known in all my life. The idea of him doing something that would have 
been disturbing was shocking to me. You see, my, my parents both grew up during the Depression. And people who grew up during the Depression, they were both born, dad was born in 26, mom was born in 28, and so they grew up right in the middle of all that in the 30s and, and all the rest. And people who grew up during that era, they have, they had a different way of looking at things. You didn't waste stuff. You didn't throw stuff away. You kept stuff and you fixed it. And, and if you couldn't fix it and you had to buy a new one, you kept the old one in case you needed parts for the new one. And that's, that's how they did it. Because of that, we always ate everything. It didn't matter if we liked it or not. We ate it because you didn't leave food laying around and you ate it all. And you certainly didn't leave any on your plate. And it was, you know, I'm still traumatized today. I still have to clean my plate. Even if I don't like it, I still have to eat it all. And we had all kinds of stuff. There were five of us kids. We had a lot of rice I love rice to this very day. It, it's something that just, it, to me, it is a wonderful, wonderful, I can eat a big whole plate of rice What I didn't know at the time, and I've come to understand later, is that that was filler. You know, we'd have food and then there'd be a big pile of rice And because there were five kids and everything, you needed enough extra stuff to fill the gaps, you know. So you put a lot of extra stuff there. And if you didn't have enough meat, you eat more rice And if there wasn't enough, eat more rice And you just eat the rice And it was cheap. And after all, it is the San Francisco treat. <laughs> wonderful stuff. I guess you have to be old to know that too, but it's wonderful. I've gotten to introduce my children to it. One of the great joys of my life, watching them like rice So one day my mother called me and she said, you'll never believe what your father did. I said, well, what did he do? She said, well, I made supper last night and we had rice And we got done eating and he said, I never have liked that. <laughs> it just, she didn't know how to respond to that. She had, she had no idea that he would say such a thing. After all, after nearly 50 years, we've eaten enough rice around to fill this building twice. And finally, after all those years, he said, I never have liked that anyway. So why didn't he say something sooner? I'm sure he didn't think it was important. It didn't matter that he didn't like it. He was going to eat it because it was on the table and that's just the way we always did it. Listen, if you can live with somebody that long and not know something, don't tell me that just because you got saved last year and you read half the Bible, now you know everything there is to know about the Savior. Listen, you can live with a finite, fallible person for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and still not completely know them. I promise you, there's a whole lot you don't know about our God. Now, what do we do through the ages of eternity? Well... Don't really know. I know what we probably won't do is hang around on clouds playing harps. I suspect what we're going to do is get to know our God. You say, well, how long is that going to take? All of eternity. Because he is infinite. And just about the thing, time you think you've got it all figured out, there's going to be a whole new, whole bunch of stuff you never even imagined. And we get to spend another thousand years learning some more about our God and another thousand over here and another million over there. And I believe we get to do that for all eternity. 
Listen, he, his guiding principle said, I want to know Christ. It's a lifelong pursuit. And there's obviously more work to be done. Look, if you would, at verse number 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to forget the things that are behind. Now, remember, there is a context here. What is what is behind him? Well, a whole life of being a religious zealot and a sincere Pharisee and somebody that everybody looked up to and lauded. He said, I'm going to forget all of that. I'm forgetting that which is behind and I'm reaching forth to that which is ahead. What's ahead? Knowing him better. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put all that in the back and I'm gonna reach forth to what is before that new life in Christ and knowing him more every day and I'm gonna reach for that every day and that's gonna be my guiding principle in life that I know him better today than I did yesterday. And it's gonna decide what course I take. And it's going to answer the questions, yes or no. I'm going to make that my governing principle in life, that I may know him and forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. Can I just say this morning, don't waste the rest of your life regretting what's behind. It's done. It's done. You don't see him saying now, now, you know, I wasted this many years and it was awful and terrible and I wish I hadn't wasted those years and I wish I could go back. Well, nobody can go back. I wish you hadn't wasted them too. But let's just leave it back there where it goes, forgetting those things which are behind and now get to know Christ. Move ahead. Don't waste your life back there on stuff you can't change anyway. Now, listen, I wish everybody would get saved at five and surrender to full-time ministry at six and serve God with all their heart, all of their lives. But that's not what most people do. It's not. People get saved later. Sometimes they get saved young and they waste a whole bunch of years. Anybody get saved young and waste a bunch of years? I would dare say that's the case for a lot of folks. Okay. God doesn't say to you, now I want you to go back and change all of that because you can't go back and change all of that. What he says is forget all that's behind. Whether it was bad or whether it was good. But I did this and this and this and this. Fine. That was yesterday. Now let's move ahead and get to know Christ better so when we get to tomorrow we'll be doing the right thing. Because if all we do is talk about how wonderful we were 10 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, you're wasting your life as much as the guy who wasted 30 years ago. Still not doing anything. Forget all that and press ahead. Because what really matters in your Christian life is what you'll do today and what you'll do tomorrow. Yesterday's over. It's done. You can't undo it or redo it. But you can do something for God tomorrow. And you can serve Him tomorrow. And you can love Him more tomorrow. And you can get to know Him better tomorrow. And you better just determine in your heart that's what you're going to do. He said, here's my goal. I want to know Christ. And I'm going to forget the things that are behind and reach forth those things that are before. And then I want you to see this verse. 
14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We saw what was abandoned, all the good works, all the religion, what was acquired to know Christ, and now we see the action. Reaching forth and pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now just suppose with me for a minute. Quite often we think, you know, there's there's a prize there and I'm and I'm trying to get the prize and I want to win the prize and I'm trying to reach the prize. Would you just think about it a little bit different with me this morning? Look at what it says again. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's not really saying that there's a prize over there that I'm trying to get because I'm following Christ Jesus, I believe that the prize is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is I get to follow him. I get to serve him. I get to fulfill his purpose in my life. I get to know him better. And that's the prize right there. It's not that there's some bonus hidden over there at the end of the rainbow. It's that I get to be part of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I've been called to serve God. If you're saved, you know what you've been called to? Serve God. Same as me. Same as your pastor. Same as any missionary that you've read their prayer letter. If you're a born-again child of God, you have been called to serve Him. And that is a wonderful, wonderful treasure. A wonderful treasure. I could introduce you to people today who are serving him when most of us would say they shouldn't. They should sit down and just fold their hands and let somebody else serve him. We have a dear pastor friend in Virginia, Fredericksburg, Virginia. Last year she had a pain in her side. Went to the doctor, good bill of health. They did a little scan to see why she had a pain in her side. She thought she had pulled a, a muscle, lifted one of the grandkids. They sent her to another doctor, and that doctor said, did you look at this scan? She said, no. Didn't, never looked at it. The doctor just did it and sent it on to the next doctor. And the doctor took her in, and she said, you have stage four cancer, and there's a tumor over here pushing on your rib, and the cancer is all through your body, and there's nothing we can do. They did some uh, some radiation or something on the on the tumor, so that it would quit pushing on her rib, and the pain is gone. She still feels fine. She has no symptoms, nothing. And yet, you know what's hanging over their head today? The thought that they don't know when it's all going to start but they know how it's supposed to end as far as the doctor's concerned. They said it's, they have no idea what the time frame is. And they're just waiting. And you know what they're doing right now? They're having church right now. And she's in there teaching a Sunday school class. She was an hour ago teaching a classroom full of ladies is what she was doing. An hour ago. You know what she's going to be doing next week? Same thing. That's what she's going to be doing. 
And you'd look at her and say, well, you ought to just go home and spend some time with your family and get comfortable and wait to die. But there's a higher goal than that. There's a greater prize than that. And so she's pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. I could introduce you to a pastor in Ohio who's had several different issues, multiple cancers and all kinds of stuff. And in the middle of it all, you know what he did? Built a new church building. So, well, he should have just sat down and, well, there's a greater goal than that. And so he's still doing it. And, and we, every time we see him, how are you doing? He says, oh, fine. And then you find out all the things that he had wrong this year. And he's just going on and he's serving God. I could introduce you to the pastor's wife in New York. Who the pastor went out and he was out running that morning and came back and dropped over dead. How many kids? Five? Four. Four young kids. Forty-four years old. Dropped over dead. We saw her and the kids in June. Still serving the Lord. Why? Well, because there's something more important than my immediate comfort. There's something more important than my aches and pains and my problems, and that's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so I'm pressed toward the mark for the prize, because I get the prize every time I serve him. I get the prize every time I get to do anything. Listen, every time you bring some snotty-nosed little kid to Sunday school in the back of your car, you get the prize. Amen? You got the prize. There it is. Every time you have vacation Bible school and you lead some little kid to the Lord and you never see him again, you got the prize. Just keep pressing toward the mark. Because there are more prizes out there. (laughs) If you just keep pressing. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't give up. Yes, everybody has problems. They do. But until it gets to the point where all you can do is sit in the chair and pray, then you go. And when you can't, then sit in the chair and pray. And keep pressing toward the mark. What's your philosophy of life? Well, I'll do what makes me feel good and what I like. And Well, then you'll never do anything for God. Well, I want to do what gets me the furthest ahead in life. Then you'll never do anything for God. And you'll never get the prize. The prize is that very opportunity that he gives when he calls you to serve him. And if you're saved, he's called you to serve him. And if you're not saved, you need to get saved today. Because all that other stuff, that's all in the past. And the only thing that allows you to get that prize is the blood of Jesus Christ and his righteousness by faith from God. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this good day you've given to us. Lord, thank you for the encouragement in your word. Lord, help us not forget that the human author writing those words is sitting in prison. And in chapter 1 he said he didn't know if he's going to live or die. And yet he said, rejoice in the Lord. And I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Lord, maybe there's somebody here today who's never trusted Christ as Savior. God, if that's the case, I pray that you come get saved. Abandon 
their tradition and their religion and their good works and just put their faith in Jesus Christ and have the righteousness of Christ applied to them. Lord, maybe some saved folks today need to just decide they're going to press on and they're going to press toward the mark. They're going to enjoy that prize. They're going to serve God. Just be glad that you've seen fit to use us in some small way. Lord, I pray you'd work in each and every heart in life. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, the piano's playing. In a minute, we'll have a verse of invitation. But if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, as soon as we start to sing, if you just step out and come down here, we'll take the Bible and show you how to be saved. It'll only take a few minutes. It'll be the best few minutes you've ever spent. Or maybe as a saved person this morning, you need to come and say, Okay, God, I want my philosophy to be that I know you better, that I'm going to forget what's behind and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to press toward the mark. This is a song that I believe you know. And today I hope you make it a prayer. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. The things of earth will grow strangely dim. As we sing it this morning, the altar's open for you if you need to come. Why don't you come today, preacher? Go ahead. Pianist continues to play. He'd like to invite you to come and do business with God. I'm very thankful that God spoke to my heart this morning. I feel like that the message was exactly what I needed personally. The things that I've been struggling with. I hope and pray that perhaps maybe someone else here tonight that you got some help with something that you've been struggling with. Maybe you'd like to come down here and just talk to the Lord about it. Thank Him for speaking to you. Let Him know what you've been going through. He already knows, but He wants to hear from us. Isn't that a joy that the Creator of this universe, that He cares that much about us, that He wants to hear our prayers. He wants us to open up our heart, tell Him how we feel, Tell him what we're going through, asking him for his help, for his grace. Isn't it wonderful to know that we can forget those things which are behind, those things that happened yesterday? We can forget those things and we can just get our eyes on Jesus Christ and experience the joy of serving him. Isn't that wonderful, brothers and sisters? To have the privilege to say, I get to serve the Lord. The religious world out there says, well, I have to serve the Lord or I have to go to church. I have to do this. Thank God we get to. We get the privilege of just being part of something that he's part of. What a wonderful God that we serve. What a wonderful Savior that would give us this privilege and pay for it all with his precious blood. What a joy. What a joy. Let's go ahead and take our hymnal, hymn number 261. If God spoke to your heart, if you've got something you'd like to talk to Him about, 
why not just come down here and talk? If you're not comfortable with coming forward, just stay seated where you're at. Make an altar, make a a place of prayer right there where you're at. But let's make sure that we respond to the Lord as He's spoken to us today. Hymn number 261, the invitation's still open. You come.